as you're heading that way, I want to say, I'm sure you've guessed it already, what we're talking about as we head into the new year. As we are apart three days in now, we are going to talk today about getting out of the blur. Getting out of the blur, the things that take our focus off of what God has for us and put it on ourselves. So today we're going to really look at that word, focus. And we're going to not just look at focus, but a focused life. A focused life. And I'm not sure about you, but for me, focus is incredibly difficult. Focus is incredibly difficult. Staying on target, hitting the goal that I've set for myself, incredibly difficult. Um, I'm not 100% sure how popular ADD and ADHD medication was when I was a child, but I'm sure if I was a child now, I would have been tagged with all of that and been medicated for all of that in some way, shape, or form because I am all over the place all the time. And focus, it's just hard. It's just hard to do. And just trying to get this message ready for this week was hard because I had family in town. We had New Year's and all the things that went with that. And honestly, a lot of the things that was consuming my thinking was how do I heat up this baptismal? That was consuming me far too much probably. But as I was looking at it, I began to think about I saw different things about focus this week. And as I looked at this focus, and I looked at the things that were going on, excuse me one more time, I, I sent out an email preparing for Sunday. And as I was saying, hey, here's what we have kind of going on. In there, I, I had actually put in a quote. And maybe you saw this quote. It said this, one of the most dangerous forms of human error is forgetting what one is trying to achieve. Here's the thing, though, when I read that quote. It, it was a scary thing for me because if forgetting what I was trying to achieve is a huge part of human error, I live in that world. There's days that I will leave the bedroom and go to the kitchen and forget what I was trying to achieve. Anybody else have that same thing? Or why you got in the car and you started driving and the next thing you know you're where you're supposed to be and you're like, why am I here in the first place? I, I do that all the time. So when I think about that, I think about there are so many things that are going on inside of my head. There, there are so many things, so many distractions is the word that the video used. It's impossible or at least a very monumental task to get anything accomplished. And then a light bulb went on. As I was studying for this message this week, a light bulb went on, and that light bulb talked about an illustration. It was something I went, oh, this is exactly where I am at. And here, I'm going to just read it for you. Have you ever wondered why animal trainers carry a stool when they go into a cage of lions? I've always wondered that. I mean, what's a stool going to do to protect you in a cage of lions? Are they going with whips? They go in with pistols, but they also carry a stool. And the stool, apparently, is the most important tool that they have. Here's why. The lion tamer actually holds the stool by the back and thrusts the four legs towards the face of the wild animal. The lion tries to focus on all four legs at once. So when that happens, in attempting to focus on all four, it actually paralyzes and overwhelms this wild beast. And because of that, it becomes weak and disabled because its attention 
is divided. Its attention is fragmented. That's me. I figured that out. I, I'm trying to figure out what four legs are always coming at me. And my guess is it's probably similar for you as well, at least in our faith. See, we gather together in person today. We gather together online today. And, and as we do, I'm going to hopefully challenge you. God is hopefully going to stir in your heart to inspire us to live out this lion-like faith. I'm hoping that's what we begin to see. But then, when this service is over, you know what's going to happen? We're going to go back to life. And we're going to go back to all of the realities that life has for us, and all of those things are going to come at us, and they're going to be just like those four legs of that stool. They're going to distract us. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's school, maybe the, the list goes on. What your four things are that are coming at you and distracting you and literally paralyzing you and disabling you. We lose focus of why we exist in the first place. I don't know if that's the same for you, but I know it is for me. See, if you were with us last week, we talked about 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. And I gave you three words, hopefully to hold on to. Remember those three words were? They're going to be right here on the screen, so it's going to be really easy for you to remember, okay? It's guard, grow, and glorify. Guard, grow, and glorify. And as we see that, it was guard yourself from spiritual error. Guard yourself from spiritual error. Grow in the knowledge of Christ and grow in his grace. And then glorify him with your life as a result. It's really not hard, at least when we say it. But when we do it, it changes everything. I mean, this is what the Christian life should look like. This is what our life should look like, to guard, to grow, to glorify. I mean, the goal of Christianity, does anybody know it? When you became a Christian, when, when Stephen Kim got baptized, the goal of Christianity is to know Christ, to become more like him, and then make him known. And not really, and then, it's all in one. That, that is the goal of Christianity, and we've talked about it before, but the Westminster Catechism actually uses these words. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why we exist. That is what Christianity is all about, and we have to guard ourselves from everything else that's pulling us from that. We have to grow in him. We have to grow in the knowledge of him. We have to grow in the grace of him, and then we glorify him with our life. Here's the thing, and I might be exaggerating just a little bit. I am a pastor after all. But it probably wasn't an hour after I got home from preaching last week that the evidence of grace escaped me. That that, that desire to glorify God with my life got kind of thrown aside as I was getting on my kids' cases. When some things happened at the house that I wasn't particularly fond of and we were preparing for company to come and all of these things were kind of coming along and on top of it all, for whatever reason, I decided to change out all the hardware in our bathroom and calcium makes things difficult when you're doing that. And then when calcium makes things difficult, things start happening inside of your heart that you don't want to come out of your mouth. And, and the realities were there and I began to realize that this is difficult. Losing our primary focus is easy. We become, rather Christ-focused, we become self-focused. We actually get in the way. We are distracted by ourselves. And I don't mean by being alone. I mean ourselves 
are the distraction from Christ. And so as I began to look at that, I began to look at that word distracted. Because you saw it in the video, we use the word a lot, but what does it mean to be distracted? So I looked it up and I'm going to read it for you. Here's what it says. Distraction is the diversion of attention of an individual or a group from the chosen object of attention onto the source of distraction. Distraction is caused by one of the following. A lack of ability to pay attention, a lack of interest in the object of attention, or greater interest in something other than the object of attention, or the great intensity, novelty, or attractiveness of something other than the object of attention. Now, if we throw in God into that object of attention and say all those other things, what is it that pulls us from God? Well, it goes on and says distractions come from both external sources, physical stimulus through five senses, or internal sources, thought, emotion, daydreams, physical urges. Divided attention, as in multitasking, could also be considered as a distraction in situations requiring full attention on a single object. Distraction is a major cause of procrastination. And I began to look at that, and I began to think, it's so easy for me to get distracted. Every little shiny object distracts me from the goal that I have. And, and I began to think, how often am I that shiny object that distracts me from the thing that's supposed to be attentive, or the thing we're supposed to give our attention to? How often am I the object or that other object? And too often I forget Romans chapter 11, verse 36. It says these words, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You know what that verse tells me? It's not about me. It never has been and it never will be. It's not about me. And I have to be on guard against that. I have to grow in the knowledge of Christ to understand it's not about me. I have to grow in the grace of Christ to understand it's not about me. And in order for me to be able to glorify him in that, I have to be on guard that it's not about me. But here's the hard thing. The world is trying to convince me otherwise. The world is constantly trying to convince me otherwise that it is about me. Sometimes it's blatantly obvious. And guess what? Other times, and probably most times, it's very sneaky. It's very subtle in the way that it does it. Henry Blackaby, maybe you've heard of him before. He wrote that devotional book, Experiencing God. He said this, often it's not the evil pursuits that rob you of your time. Rather, the temptation is to sacrifice what is best for what is good. The enemy knows that blatantly tempting you with evil will be obvious, so he'll lure you with distractions, leaving you no time to carry out God's will. He will tempt you to fill your schedule with good things that you have no time for God's best. You may inadvertently substitute religious activity for God's will, pursuing your own goals for God's kingdom instead of waiting for his assignment. Time is a precious commodity. Be sure to invest it wisely. Back when the whole pandemic started, I gave you two different verses, two different favorite passages of mine. One of them was Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says these words, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So I have to ask you, when you look at that, have we made the most of our time over the last nine months? Or with this new year, this new change, this new morning, this new breath we have in our lungs, can we do it today? 
And we say, I'm going to make the most of my time. I am going to begin to focus. We have to focus on our goal. We have to live the focused life. You might say, well, how do we do it, though? There's so many distractions. There's so many things that are going on. There's so much that is pulling me away from that. How do I do it? Well, the great thing is, is the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippian church, written by Paul while in prison, gives us a great thing to show us how Paul did it that we can imitate. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 16 today. And again, just going to remind you, he's writing this in prison with execution, with death, with punishment on the line. He writes this still keeping his focus. And this is what it says here in verse 10, starting in Philippians chapter 3. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God, God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. In this passage, we find the life focus of Paul. We find the life focus of Paul, and we see him here and say in verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, the one thing, one thing. And when I see those words, I think back to the movie City Slickers with Billy Crystal and Curly. And Curly holds up his finger and he says, there is one thing. And when you see that one thing, I think we can be in agreement. He's not saying, well, at least a hundred things that I start. Or the couple of dozen things that I attempt. There is just one thing. He is reaching for one thing. He is pursuing one thing. Singular focus. Singular focus allows him to go after that prize. He's not taking that shotgun approach where the beads are spreading. It is a rifle approach where it's just one singular focus. There's an old German proverb that I probably should put over my workbench in my garage. It says these words, he who begins too much accomplishes too little. That's where I'm at. You should see my workbench. I have lots of projects that are half done. And we tend to do that in our own lives. And we have this tendency to put less time and less effort into one thing because we're taking all our time and all our effort and putting it into everything. We need to be singular focused. So with that today, here's my hope. We see and look at the focused life of Paul and that will help us and challenge us to live a focused life ourselves. Here's the thing, one thing. One thing, and you might be like, well, what is that one thing? Well, I'm going to tell you what that one thing is towards the end. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you three parts to that one thing where Paul talks about in this passage. And the first part is this. Paul lived a life focused on a person. He focused on a person. Verse 10 again says, my goal. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. We said it last week, we'll say it again. 
We have to grow in the knowledge of him and grow in his grace. We have to do that. Paul's goal is the same as Peter's challenge from last week. Know him. Know him. Knowing Christ obviously involves more than just knowing about Christ. Just knowing about Christ isn't going to get it done. Think about Paul's relationship. At this point in time, how far into Christianity is he? Like 20, 25 years possibly? How well does he know Christ? How well has he studied him and lived for him? And yet he still wants to go deeper. He still wants to go deeper. How can we know Christ in this life? If you are here last week, we talked about it more in depth. But as Paul writes here, he gives a few more specifics to it all that I want to add to what we talked about last week. Do you have the desire to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? Do you have that desire? Do you long to understand more and more about the implications that the power of the resurrection has in our lives? How much that changes us to be buried with him and raised again. That is the idea of baptism. That is why water went flowing all over the place. And it's a beautiful sight that you are being buried with him and raised to walk in a new life. Do we grasp that? Do we celebrate that every morning that we wake up? Imagine focusing on that, the power of his resurrection, rather than whatever you woke up focusing on this morning. Some of you just tried to woke up and f- tried to figure out what day it was. For the last week, I have not known. Like yesterday, I'm like, I think tomorrow is Sunday. I need to know that. Okay? And the reality is, we get this tendency to focus on everything else that's going on. How many times do we woke up in the morning focusing on what's coming out of Washington, D.C., or what's on our newsfeed, or what's going on? What if we just focused on the power of the resurrection? How would that change the way that we lived for that day to glorify Him? I mean, what if we truly grasp that truth? It's found in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, when it says these words, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you understand what that means? If we focus on that, how much would that change what we do? And what if we could say with all confidence what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? You've probably heard this verse before, but sometimes verses we memorize, we forget what they actually mean. What if we could say this? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's no longer about me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What if we live that way? Imagine the implications and the glorification that would come from our lives to Christ if we lived our lives that way. What if our focus was there? Then we see Paul go even further than just saying to know the power, know him and the power of the resurrection. He also says to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now that's a strange thing because the word fellowship is a Baptist word. Or at least I always thought it was. It meant everybody get together and bring a potluck. That, that was kind of the idea of fellowship. But the word fellowship actually means sharing or joint participation. When he says, I want to share and have joint participation in his sufferings, what does that mean? Well, that is a deep, deep question that we can go on a full rabbit trail. And I would actually challenge you this week because as I was studying that, I'm like, that's a sermon in itself. What does it mean to share in his sufferings? I would challenge you to take a look at that, but just on the surface, 
it fits into what we talked about last week when it says it's going to help us grow in that grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God's grace is amazing, but when we're sharing in the sufferings and we see it, it becomes even more amazing. When, when we are walking along and growing in the knowledge of who he is and what he did for us, it changes our perspective. If we focus on that, then we see that Paul's like, you know, I just, I just want to know him and experience him in a deeper way way. I want you to experience him personally. I want to know him. I want you to experience him powerfully. I want to feel the power of the resurrection living in my life. I want to experience the pain and that pain that comes from suffering. But then there's a practical side of it all because he says, I want to be conformed with him in his death. I want to be conformed to his death. What's he saying there? Well, same thing that Jesus talks about back in Luke when he says, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. Paul says, that's what I want. I want to know that. I want to die to myself. I've got to stop being self-focused. I've got to die to that. I've got to die to that, and I've got to move my focus to him. So first, that first part of the one thing is focus on the person. There's a second part to the one thing, and it's focus on the prize. The prize that he mentions in verse 12, he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. See, Paul's saying, I've got plenty of room to grow, and guess what? Each and every one of us do too. But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So we look at the first part of the passage, and we look at this part right here. A, a question in my mind arises, and maybe it's a question that comes up in yours too. What are the things in my life, what are the things in your life that get in the way of the focus of Christ? Take the focus off of Christ. Paul gives us a couple of things. First thing he says, it's the past. The past, forgetting what is behind. And when we think past and we think things that might get in the way, generally we think of our failures and how God can't use us. But really I think he's talking about both success and failure. And how success and failure get in the way of focusing on Christ. See, success tends to be something that we, we lean on and, and that we focus on and keeps us from moving forward because we've already done it. We've reached that plateau. We, we've made our mark. Churches have a tendency to fall into this category. I mean, there's actually a, a study with churches that has kind of a bell curve type of thing from when they're birthed to they begin to grow and they begin to make this turn. And at the turn at the top, they either keep focusing on this or they look ahead to what's up. And too many churches keep looking back here, and guess what happens? And that's why so many churches are in decline. We focus on our past successes, and they get in the way of us focusing on Christ. But we also focus on our past failures. Because when I look at my failures, when I look at the life that I've lived and the decisions that I've made, I say, God, you can't use me. I can't stand in front of a bunch of people because I'd be considered a hypocrite. God, you can't use me, so therefore I'm only going to focus on myself and self-pity and kind of go with that whole thing like that. We all have a tendency to do both of those things. We make excuses, whether we've already done it or we've done something that is not okay. 
And therefore, God can't use us. But that word forgetting, you know that word forgetting isn't a, I forgot. It is, I'm forgetting, which is an active verb right now. It's a constant. We constantly need to be forgetting. It's going to happen more than just once. Our successes are going to get in the way. Our failures are going to get in the way. But we have to forget those things and we have to move on. So first, he's forgetting the past. He's forgetting what is behind. But he also says something else gets in the way. And that is the future. Reaching forward to what is ahead. Sometimes we can think about things other than Christ that are out there. Instead, what's he saying? He's got this picture of, of reaching. He's got this picture of striving. I, I imagine the, the Olympics, when, when the runners are hitting that final tape and they're just stretched out and they're going for the gold. They're going for the prize. That is what Paul is doing. He is using every bit of it and the intensity that he has, just the veins, and then I can't imagine, I just got to get the prize. I've got to reach out and get it. And he says, I've got to focus on that one thing. Like Colossians chapter 3, when he writes to that church, he says, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. That's the prize. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is the prize. Guess what? Christ is also the person. So if you're getting the one thing, you might be putting it all together. I'm not going to give you the answer just yet. Christ is the prize. Christ is the person glorifying his name as a part of it, living out that great commission in our lives. What if we did that? What if we did what Matthew 28 says? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It is a, a challenge from Christ. It is a commission from Christ. This is our goal, seeing the things above, the prize that is there, that is Christ, the goal that we can focus on, the person of Christ, the prize of Christ, the prize of his glory. But then, one last part, the people. The people. Focus on the people. Verse 15 and 16 says these words, therefore. You know why the word therefore is there? To tie everything together, what he's already said. You've got to find out what it's there for. All the things that he said before. Therefore, the wrap up. Let all of us who are mature think this way. You know what it means to be spiritually mature? It means to be growing in him. And growing closer to him, what we talked about last week. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. Meaning we still have growth to take place. We still have spiritual maturing to take place. Just as Paul says actually in the previously uh, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You got to remember they didn't have the Bible where they got to break it down by verse and get to study and memorize. This is a letter that was probably read to everybody all at once. So he's already said this. He's going back and reminding them of this. In any case, verse 16, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. So leading up to verse 15, if you look at all the stuff, there's a whole lot of me, myself, and I that Paul is writing about. But in verse 15, he takes a shift. And that shift says, let all of us. 
He's reaching out to everybody. He wants to bring people along. He wants to see growth take place. He wants not just growth in himself, but growth in others. And that comes with discipleship. He understands our core value that growing people change. But not just that growing people change, that found people will find people and help them grow. That saved people will serve people so they can help them grow. That is where Paul is at in his life. He's realizing more and more that it's not about him, but instead about the one thing. He is in the background, not in the foreground. You ever notice that when they do a picture of focus? The one in the foreground is completely in focus and they change everything in the background to be all blurry just so that one thing is one thing we're looking at. As a matter of fact, Maley just asked me about the poster for the IMB uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If you looked at it, you saw there was a guy walking across the crosswalk and he was the only one in focus. And Maley said, why is that? And I said, I have no idea. I guess so we look at him. And that's what we need to do. We need to become the thing that is blurry in the background and Christ needs to be the one that is in full focus in the front. But you know how that happens? Growth and maturity. We need to be growing in Him. We need to be growing in the knowledge of Him. We need to be growing in the grace of Him. We need to be living up to that truth. We need to be living out that truth that we have, as he says here in verse 16, that we have attained. The truth that we have. How do we have that? We experience Him. We experience the power of the resurrection. We live that out. We experience his suffering. We live that out. We are conformed to him in his death. We live that out. This is what he is trying to say to us. And guess what it all leads to? The same thing you probably saw in that video up front, but it said, what's the thing that gets in the way of our surrender? It's us, isn't it? How do we submit? How do we live a life of submission? by grasping a hold of what we understand and what we've attained and then living it out. And we press on, as he says. We focus on that one thing, the person of Christ, the prize of Christ, the people of Christ that we are bringing along. See, there's a lot of things that are going to try and get your attention in this world. There's a lot of things that are going to distract us. Many times, they are good things. But there is nothing as good as Christ. There's nothing as good as following Christ. There's nothing more important than following him. I actually wrote next to my little thing here. Say it with me. Get a little crowd participation here. There's nothing more important than following Christ. Would you say that with me? There is nothing more important than following Christ. That is our focus. That is the focus of our life. We all need to be following him. And if he's taking steps, we're taking steps. Maybe that step is the first step of following Christ. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe it means you need to take that next step of going public with a baptism. I have no problem if we do this every week, just, by the let, you, just to let you know. No problem whatsoever. I will buy new mops if that's what it takes. Whatever it takes. I will go get that $500 heater for doing it every week. I will tell you that right now. That, that is the reality of where we are. Maybe that's the step that you need to take. Maybe the step you need to take is the step of stepping aside and putting yourself aside and putting your focus on Him and serving Him in some capacity. Maybe it means you begin to evangelize others. Maybe it means you begin to disciple others. I just love the fact that Stephen is an example of discipleship in action. 
As Bob has poured into him, his life has changed, and he stood before you to say, my life has changed. How awesome is that? Maybe we need to begin discipling others. Maybe we just need to begin loving others. As we talked about just even a couple of weeks ago with love all and what that means. As you walk out of here today, I'm hoping that this isn't just a message that you hear once and you kind of let go. If you're watching it online, maybe you can rewind it and, and hear this again. But I've got some questions for you that I want you to use to apply as we wrap up. First question I want you to think about is this. What are some ways you are being distracted from the goal of Christ in your life today? What are some ways you're being distracted from the goal of Christ in your life today? There's an old saying, the first step is recognizing the problem. The second step is doing something about it. Recognize a problem and do something about it. What good things in your life are not leaving time for the best thing in your life? What can I do to reprioritize or even get rid of those good things so that they're not in the way of Christ? Is there a priority in my life that I've lost focus on? Is there, even beyond Christ, you know, Christ first, what second? Have you lost that priority because so many other things are going on? Am I keeping Jesus as my main focus? What am I doing to keep Jesus as a top priority in my life? Am I abiding in him daily? Or am I just making excuses about being too busy? All questions I think we need to really let soak in because as we close today, I'm going to ask you to ask God to help you live with him as the focal point of your life. Because as much as I try and do it on my own, I'll tell you, without Christ... It's pointless. It's pointless. I, I'm not strong enough on my own to do it. I need the power of Christ in me. I, I need to ask him to help me guard against the distractions that are going to pull me from him. I need to ask him to help me grow in him and grow in him the knowledge of him and help me grow in the grace of him. I need to ask him to help me in glorifying him in my daily life. So I'm going to ask you to do the same. And guess what? I'm not just going to ask you to do it this morning. I'm going to ask you to do it every day. And every day it's going to be a battle. And every day it's going to be a battle that is tough, but it's also a battle that we must fight and we must win. And that's the reason why for the next seven weeks we're going to talk about seeing the unseen. And we're going to be looking at the battle that is before us, the spiritual battle that goes out there and how we fight that battle. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you probably know it, but we're going to be looking at the armor of God as we kick off this new year, as we move into what God would have us to do and how we fight this battle so that we can guard against the things that are going to pull us away, that we can grow in him and that we can glorify him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for who you are. And thank you for even the physical examples of next steps that are right here in front of us. That next step of baptism. But God, there's other next steps that need to be taken in here, and I don't know who needs to do what, but God, you do, and they do. So I pray even this morning as we wrap up with this last song that there are people in this room just crying out to you, God, what do you have next for me? What next steps need to be taken in my life? What changes need to happen? What things need to be moved out of the top spot so that you can be there. God, it's different for each and every one of us, but we all know that we are distracted. I pray that you remove those distractions. You help us guard against them. You help us grow in you 
and you help us to glorify your name in all that we do. We pray in that heavenly name.